Well, hello. Welcome back to the Joy, Color, Impact, and Dogs podcast. It is officially 2024. I know I'm dating this podcast by saying the year, but it's our first episode in the new year, and it feels so good. Today, I am diving into one of my very, very, very favorite topics and doing a comprehensive, in-depth breakdown of the six stages of a rebrand and really helping you understand what it takes to get it right the first time. Which sounds a bit funny, right? Because if it's a rebrand, it's probably not the first time. (laughs) But my experience has been there ends up being a lot of procrastinating going on among entrepreneurs, founders, and small businesses where we like to just tweak and mess with things without any real strategy. So what we're focusing on today is a strategic rebrand. Let's dive in. So today, looking at the six stages of a rebrand, I wanted to walk you through as quickly but comprehensively as possible through what it actually takes and in what order a rebrand should be done. But the first thing that we need to discuss is that there is a difference between a visual rebrand and a strategic rebrand, okay? So a visual rebrand is basically just a fresh coat of paint, right? And this is purely for, you know, a little bit of easy access curb appeal. If we think about the metaphor of the house, right, it requires a painter, right? It doesn't require a whole team. It doesn't require anyone more aware of building codes and regulations or plumbers, electricians, etc., right? It's really quite simple. You need a designer, and you do a little visual makeover. That is what most people think of when they think of a rebrand or a brand refresh. And it's very, very different than what I think of as a rebrand or a brand refresh because of what I know works and because of the methodology that we use to build rebrands that work, right? That's where the strategic piece comes in. Rebrands that have a purpose, which is related to business growth, founder satisfaction and self-expression, the ability to get more market share, create more profit, have more uh, social good. Strategic rebrands have a job to do, and it's beyond just looking beautiful, Okay, so I like to think of a strategic rebrand like a remodel, where you actually want to improve the functionality, the spaciousness, the overall design and desirability of your business. Again, using that home metaphor, it's the difference between a fresh coat of paint and a total remodel, a total overhaul. And obviously a remodel requires painters and plumbers and electricians and contractors, and ideally... If you've done a few remodels, you know how important it can be to have a general contractor. And if you're doing a big remodel and if you're doing something very purposeful that you want to feel a certain way, you're probably going to engage an architect. And this is why I call myself a brand architect, because sort of like a composer or a director, if you don't have someone leading the process helping you interpret what you want and what you want the outcomes to be, chances are what you're going to get is just luck, right? If you had a plumber leading the total overhaul of your entire house, you're going to get what the plumber is capable of creating through vision and implementation, right? So when you step into a strategic rebrand, you need someone leading that rebrand other than yourself, other than a designer, unless that designer is specifically a very strategic marketing expert, in order to help you make choices that are actually going to lead to the outcomes that you want. So I call myself a brand architect because that is what I do. It is a very strategic role where we interpret all the information from you, the founder, from the customer, from the market forces, and turn that 
into something that does a job, which at the end of the day is also very beautiful and very consistent. Okay, so what I'm going to break down today is the strategic rebrand, which is different than just a visual rebrand, because I think it's much more useful. And a visual rebrand is pretty simple. That'll basically just surround point five that I'll talk about today when we get into presentation. So the one exception, well, two exceptions, I would say, to reasons to do just a visual rebrand instead of a strategic one. If you are just starting out, if you are building a brand for the first time or doing a quick little refresh and you don't have a lot of time, energy, and particularly budget, and you are still learning who you are, who your customers are, and you're still majorly in creating that revenue growth that you haven't quite figured out yet, that's probably not the time to spend a lot of money on a strategic rebrand. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying that's not a time to invest heavily because you will have to change it fairly shortly anyway, based on the learnings that you make. So it's like buying your starter home, right? You're not probably doing a huge expensive remodel in the first house that you buy because you just don't have the cash capital or experience to do that. You wait until, you know, you've got a little bit more experience, a little bit more money. And most importantly, you've lived in it in a while. So you understand where the changes are required and what you actually want how you want it to feel, how you want it to function, and who you want to be doing business with. So the other exception, the first one I mentioned was being new and still working on the basic business growth. The second is if you want to compete on price. If your primary competition is going to happen in the realm of price or let's say like logistics, someone like Amazon, branding becomes so much less important because it's not the reason people are choosing you. They're choosing you for a reason that is absolutely compelling, which is you can ship it to me tomorrow or you're the cheapest. Those are not really, I mean, there is some branding work to make sure you know about that and to make sure you're getting out in the marketplace and people are brand aware of these differentiators, but they also leave you really open to competition. Because if someone is cheaper or faster than you, they're going to pick them because that's why they're picking in the first place, right? So what I want you to understand going into this conversation is not everybody has to invest in building a strategic brand. Some people can just slap something pretty on it just to get going. And some people don't need to spend the time or energy, but they will need to spend that time and energy on the innovation of continuing to be cheapest or fastest or whatever your differentiator is. But for most businesses, most founders, most executive teams, most products, most services, building a brand is absolutely the most profitable and effective way to build a sustainable business over time. With that said, let's assume that you are ready to do this strategic rebrand or you're ready to consider it, you're ready to think about it, and you're ready to make a significant shift. This is the primary difference between the coat of paint and the remodel, right? Remodels are messy. They are time consuming. They mess with your life. <laughs> the outcome is worth it, but it's not just someone coming around for a couple of days to do some painting, right? It's disruptive. And that is on purpose because there is a fundamental change happening internally, right? And a strategic rebrand should be the same. It is happening from the inside out, not just making something pretty on the outside. So you need to know that and be aware of that and be prepared for that going in. Oftentimes, the year that someone does a strategic rebrand, if it's a big one, can sometimes be the year that actually revenues or profits go down for a short time because they're focused internally on the rebrand and then they go hugely straight up after it's complete. So I want you to be aware that, you know, sometimes there are consequences and sacrifices of focusing on this work. It's not all shiny stuff, but if it's done properly, if it's done well, then you should see a significant transformative growth when it rolls out. 
And we'll talk about that a little bit in point six that I want to make today. But I just want to really set the stage for a realistic conversation on this topic, because I think there's just a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of assumptions people make about a, what a rebrand is. Okay, so let's assume you're good with all of that. You're ready to do build your dream house, do your dream brand. You're ready for it to be strategic. So it gives you more clients, more money, more profitability, more sustainability, Let's dive in. The first thing that you need to understand about what a brand is, is the word positioning. You probably know it, you've probably heard it, but what a brand, particular, you know, what a brand is, is a carefully crafted and consistently communicated positioning. It's the core of what a brand is. It's your reputation. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. It's the thing that makes people reach for your products on the shelf, that familiarity, that trust. It's the space that your brand takes up in the mind and the marketplace, where you sit amongst your competitors and your customers' other options. Your positioning is made up of a lot of things that we're going to talk about today, but it's if, if I had to come up with one thing that is most sort of closely correlated with what is a brand, it really is your positioning. It's where you sit, especially in the mind of your customer and in the market itself. And as you can imagine, you want to be the one determining this, right? You don't want this left up to chance. But the only way you get to choose it is if you invest some time and energy and capital to decide choose, commit to what that positioning is, and then consistently communicate it. And the consistency is super important here for a couple of reasons. One is because entrepreneurs and founders have a tendency to mess with their brand a lot. <laughs> changing the pricing, changing the product, changing the personality and the colors and the fonts with every season, which doesn't allow you to ever really build a consistent position if it's changing all the time. And the other reason that the consistency sometimes isn't working out is because your messaging doesn't match your color palette or the design of your website doesn't match your price point. If there is inconsistency in the brand experience from start to finish, then it immediately disqualifies some of the trust and credibility you could be building if there was a consistent, cohesive experience start to finish from the website to the product to the social to the after sales experience, right? So there's a couple different ways consistency is important here, but they are essential, essential. And most small businesses really struggle with this because A, there isn't someone who is a brand strategist sitting at the helm saying, here's the vision, here's the outcomes we want, and here's all the pieces that we're going to invest in to make sure that happens. And even if you do have that person, oftentimes that person doesn't understand fully the psychology of things like design and color, which might be having an alternate impact than things like words and pricing. Right, so it's really important that in order to create that consistency, we're able to manage our own behaviors of like messing with things and changing them all the time, right? We need to pick a lane and stick with it. And we need to access some information or tools or people that we may not have internally in order to create consistency on a psychological level across every single one of the pieces that make up our brand, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today, okay? So if you don't want to get known for something you don't want, like being the cheapest or, you know, having sort of a reputation for something you didn't intend, and I should say that it's important to not do this because once you're stuck in the mind of the consumer, it's really hard to move. So once they think of you as X, Y, and Z business and you have a group, a growing group of people who think and believe that, it is very difficult to move that positioning without serious investment and effort. Okay, so it's much better to start out, you know, being more consistent and to craft and consistently communicate this positioning than to leave it up to chance and try and change it later. Okay, 
So let's begin looking at the six stages of this rebrand, knowing that we're trying to do here is create and communicate consistently a specific position in the market. The first thing you do going into a rebrand is you need to get organized, okay? Just like setting off on any trip or adventure or anything that takes significant effort or coordination, you need to get your map, you need to get your supplies, you need to get things ready, you need to understand where you want to go and how you're going to get there. In a brand, that means really understanding what success looks like, what your timeline is, what your overall goals are, and gathering your assets together for whoever is going to support you. So things like photos and existing brand guidelines, copy, fonts, etc. So there is going to be a period of, of getting organized. And one of the things I really want you to think about as you go through this phase is A, not getting stuck here forever, right? Because we have a tendency to get ready to get ready for a really long time and don't use that as an excuse. But part of that is committing to the process, okay? You need to step into this with the way you would in any big remodel, right? Of like understanding what it is that you're committing to and why and being willing to take that on. If you're not fully committed, then you're gonna have several points of fear or discomfort which are gonna make you turn back or stop. So you really need to decide that you are committed to this process because otherwise you're gonna be a nightmare for the team that is working with you and you are gonna be very uncomfortable and frustrated yourself. So you need to commit to the process. And secondly, you really need to be coachable. If you're bringing an expert in to help you with a strategic rebrand, you are specifically bringing them in to help you make decisions, to give you good advice. This is a consulting role where someone is going to make specific recommendations based on what you say you want. And if you have engaged them because you trust their expertise, you need to listen. <laughs> I have people all the time who ask me like, oh, do I really have to do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, you don't have to. It's your brand. It's your business. But if you want X, Y, Z outcome, this is my recommendation to achieve it. And sometimes those recommendations are uncomfortable. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But you need to step into this process being coachable and being willing to take the advice of the experts who you have chosen to engage in the process. Okay. If you're not willing to do that, then don't hire someone to help you and see where the chips fall, right? But this is a time to acknowledge that this is maybe not a space where you need to wear all the hats. Maybe you do need help and support. Even if you're a total big badass boss of your business that you don't know everything and this might not be your area of expertise. And even if it is, you probably need to hire someone to help you. When I do rebrands for my own businesses, I hire people to help me because I am too close to it. And even though I do this for a living, I understand that I need someone with more perspective and more distance from my own personal wants and needs and choices and preferences to help guide me strategically through the process. So I don't just end up where I was because of my own preferences, right? So this is really important. The other thing I want you to understand is that I'm gonna take you through a linear process today. One, two, three, four, five, six. But often two and three are interchangeable. Okay, so as we talk about point two and point three over the next few minutes, I want you to understand that these can be done in the opposite order, number two and three, because either you're going to be building your brand around a specific product or a customer that you already have, or you're going to be building around yourself, a founder like you who's already really um, involved in the business and whose vision is driving the growth. You'll be heavily involved in the mission and the purpose of the business. And so it's really up to you whether you want to build a brand around existing you know, clients or products or whether you want to build a brand that is a good fit for you and then attract people and provide products and services for those people accordingly depending on your own brand personality, positioning, purpose, etc. There, there's no right or wrong here. 
A, you want to do what makes more sense strategically. There's that word again. <laughs> um, building from you and purpose down or from the customer and product up. And there's plenty of reasons to do both. I've certainly supported plenty of brands doing both of those. But since I'm going to outline things today from your perspective, I'm going to start from the purpose and personality down. Uh, because if you are the founder and you are the visionary in this brand, those are going to be the things that are the most fixed, the least likely to change over time. And they are also the places where I believe you have potentially a ton of strategic advantage, where you can tap into some of your own superpowers, your own intrinsic motivation, your own authenticity, which can really, really give you a competitive advantage in the marketplace in a way that just trying to have a better product or understand the customer better isn't quite as effective. Okay. But I need to go into this saying like, you know, right now I'm working with a brand and I'm working with an executive team of three and it's a company that's been around for 40 years and we are building from their specific products up because that's what we have to start with. That's the fixed thing is the product. And we need to build around a brand around that that will go to market in a way that is desirable in the space that will be desirable to the ideal client based on what the product is and does, as well as who they are as a company because of that authenticity transparency piece. Okay, so that was number one, getting organized. Number two, so this is the first step of the strategic rebrand. My world, we really focus on creating a positioning that's based on purpose, as well as a brand personality, which all comes down to psychology. It's being able to build a brand that can create an emotional connection with people very quickly that has a tremendous amount of authenticity, like I just mentioned, and is doing some sort of social good. There's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that I believe we must give back more than we take. We are at a point in capitalism, <laughs> late stage capitalism, where it's a bit of a disaster. And for those of us who are interested in building our own freedom, our own wealth, contributing to that capitalist system, we also need to be very aware of our impact. And we need to be giving back more than we're taking, whether that's from a carbon footprint standpoint or the way we support our employees, the, the way that our product interacts with the planet. It's super important from my point of view that as we step into growth, significant growth, and more wealth and more expansion, that we do that in a very conscious way. So putting purpose at the core of what you do, I think, is the right thing to do for the planet and for the people and animals who live on it. That's first. But second, the key that we're trying to create here, and you'll hear me repeat this a lot during this episode, is you're looking to create an emotional connection with people. Everybody makes their decisions emotionally. Like it or not, we are just not that logical. <laughs> and so when it comes to marketing, when it comes to sales, purchase, etc., everything comes down to emotions, to feelings. So it's your job to create feelings, to create them quickly, consistently, that also are aligned with trust and credibility so people trust those feelings when they have them. And being aligned with purpose, whatever it might be, for you, is a quick fire, immediate, straight line to being able to create more feeling more quickly, okay? So it's there's a strategic advantage to being aligned in purpose. And the third piece that I have found over the years is actually potentially the most important if you are a founder listening to this podcast right now is that aligning what you sell with what you actually really, really, really give a shit about <laughs> is an incredibly powerful way to ignite your superpowers, your greatest potential. Because if you are deeply intrinsically motivated to move forward every day in your business through the tough stuff, through the setbacks, then 
it is going to be so much easier to achieve the success that you want than if you're just doing it to make money or you're just doing it to prove something to someone or you're just doing it because you're supposed to or because you saw a gap in the market five years ago and you're bored, right? So a lot of people come to me at the stage where they are bored. They don't know what to do now because they know how to make money, but they're over it. Or they need to make a big shift because they're purchasing a company or changing their product or venturing into a new market. And they need some genuine motivation and guidance to either create that excitement for themselves, to find a new lane that excites them, or to understand the market and bring something exciting to the market in a place where there's already a lot of options, right? So it's this crossroads point oftentimes. But having a purpose can really, really provide credibility, authenticity, excitement, and a beautiful emotional core to the brand that we build that becomes very, very compelling to people. Because if there's one thing we humans are good at, it is being a bullshit detector. <laughs> and when something is not authentic, when it is not core to us, when we say it in our social media but don't live it in our company, it is one of the most damaging things you can do for building that profitability, that powerful brand, etc. So this is sort of the threefold impact of putting purpose first. It's the right thing to do. It's good for planet and people. It makes your marketing easier to create faster emotional connections. And it is motivating to you and to your team to be invested in a purpose that is bigger than just making money. Okay, and in a couple of weeks, I'm going to share with you the sort of rebranding that we've been doing internally with our own purpose and mission. I'll be sharing with you the new mission vision we've created and the ways that we are aligning to that and measuring it um, in, in, a, in a couple of weeks through this podcast to give you some inspiration and ideas about how we've done that. But it is absolutely essential that if you are going to take on a strategic rebrand, in my opinion, as a branding expert, that you align yourself with purpose. And again, this is why this is not a fresh coat of paint. This is a total internal remodel because aligning yourself around purpose takes disruption, change, and change is often uncomfortable and time-consuming. So I want to make that super, super clear. The only way to do this properly is to do it totally which means totally changing your corporate and brand culture to align to that purpose. And in many cases, it's already there. It's just a matter of putting a name to it, some words to it, and helping people understand and be able to repeat and to get bought in on what that purpose is, and then also communicating it more externally as well as internally, okay? The other piece of this isn't just purpose, but it's personality. The purpose becomes a really important part of the brand personality, but people buy from people. And as we've already discussed and we'll continue to discuss today, people buy emotionally. All of our purchasing decisions, all of our decisions are made on an emotional basis. And so personality becomes a very important part of building the instant trust and credibility we need to help people feel safe and or get the emotional cues that they need to buy from us. So when we start to look at the first stage of your strategic rebrand and clarifying that purpose, we also need to clarify personality. And this is really fundamentally at its core about deciding who you are as a brand and then from a purpose piece, what you stand for, the why. And so you have pieces in here like brand voice, right? Like, how does this brand talk? How does it come across? As well as key personality elements that will drive the rest of the decisions that you make. Now, you can start from scratch with this and define it yourself, or you can go and take my quiz because what's really helpful about psychology is it gives us some structures, some existing personality types that we can just tap into when building a personality type for our brand so we don't have to start from scratch. And what's beautiful about that is if we can pick one of these existing personality types and build to that, then 
we can be confident that we will attract other personality types um, that match. So if you want to go take my quiz, you can go to janenicolesmith.com slash quiz and find which one of these personality types do you or your brand fit into. And you'll get some really good stuff there about colors and language and do's and don'ts for how to shift yourself more consistently and cohesively into that personality type. But we do this early. We do this really early on because like I said, this piece is fundamentally about deciding who you are and what you stand for. And sadly, most business owners skip this. Most business owners don't do this until years into their business, and then it's painful and it takes time, right? Most people skip this because we are so focused on product and pricing. We are so focused on what we want to sell, which is point four, by the way, not one, that we skip who we actually are and what we actually stand for, which is one of the most compelling parts of why people buy from us which is why so many people struggle to get more people to buy from them. <laughs> so it all makes sense, right? So this is point two, purpose and personality, the first really strategic part of your rebound. Next, we move into point three, people, right? This is about your client. This is about who is going to buy from you. And this is fundamentally about what you have in common, it's not just about them. The last piece was just about you, about your brand, right? This is about them, but specifically, where is that overlap between you and them? And what I want you to understand about your ideal client is that this is not about demographics, right? We've been taught, you know, it gets filtered down from marketing textbooks that we need to know like how much people make and where do they live and are they married and blah, blah, blah. And that's true. That's demographics. But knowing that you target DINKS, this is the acronym for dual income, no kids, is not going to tell you anything about where to find them, how to connect with them emotionally or what they want from you, which means it's impossible to sell to them. Okay. So, you know, demographically who they are, but what do they care about? What do they believe in? What do they hate? Where are you going to find them? How are you going to reach them? So what's really, really key in the ideal client piece of this puzzle is understanding the psychographics of this person. What do they care about? What do they believe in? What do they need? What do they fear? And this is why in my color brand method, we use these the personality type I mentioned before, as well as archetypes, these psychological frameworks that really help us kind of, again, pick a lane in terms of the desires, motivations, needs, and psychology of our ideal client. You've probably been encouraged to create an avatar uh, for who your ideal client is. And using archetypes, using avatars is wildly useful but it also can be a little bit of a dangerous game because we're not trying to create stereotypes, right? We want to understand the unique and powerful psychology of our people, but we don't want to put them in boxes that are too restrictive. So any tool that uses psychology, we need to use consciously and carefully. But the intention here is to create sound psychological parameters using something like archetypes is a really easy way to do this, as well as research. So things like surveys, client interviews. So we can create an accurate picture that is not just a stereotype about how we can meet the needs of our people and how we can connect with them emotionally based on their beliefs and fears. So one of the things that becomes really important here is being able to answer the question, how do we want to make people feel. I've mentioned over and over again, people make decisions emotionally. So feeling is the most important piece. And even more important than how we want to make them feel is how do we need to make them feel based on what we know about them to create an environment that builds instant trust and credibility and makes them feel safe as well as excited enough to buy. Again, feel is the key word here. 
how do we need to make them feel? And everything we do in the color brand method, everything we do in how we do strategic rebrands centers around building a strong foundation and very clear psychological motivations so we can answer this every time. How are we trying to make people feel? And then we use tools to do that in the most predictable way possible. Now, one thing that is true and this, this became glaringly obvious to me during my master's in marketing, where I realized I was just being like educated in order to be, you know, a pawn at an agency or go work for a big corporation, is that the way marketing is taught is it's taught for big corporations. And, you know, I, I've had like 20 years on the ground of like small business marketing, as well as working with those billion dollar companies who do it the, you know, the traditional way. But what I have come to understand, certainly through my own experience, as well as the experience of my small business clients, is that it's often a lot harder for small businesses to get really good data about things like brand awareness, about things like doing um, focus groups for their customers about what they want and, you know, getting the proper research about what people actually do instead of what they say they do, because they're often different. So this is why I mentioned at the beginning, I prefer to start with purpose and personality rather than product and person, because sometimes it's really hard to get that data that we need. And authenticity and strong personality will become a mirror. So if you focus on building a brand with a clear personality and purpose, you will then attract people who have the same or complementary beliefs and personality. So you know them because you know what you're projecting, you know what you're attracting, if that makes sense. That does not negate the need for data. So please don't hear me saying like, don't get data from your customers. We want their words. We want their feelings. We want to hear exactly what they say about what they like and don't like and what they need, because that is absolutely essential for better marketing, better customer service, better product development, all the things that support a powerful, profitable, sustainable brand. So we do still need to do that research in whatever way we can, a simple survey, sitting down and talking to a few of our customers and recording it and, and having transcripts of those recordings is essential. But I just want to say, if you're getting all tied up around not understanding who your ideal client is or not being able to take it further than the stereotype, I know that they are young professionals with dogs or... I know that they are women business owners, but you're struggling to get it to the next step from there, being able to niche down or get more specific, what some people would call a micro niche, what I often call a niche within a niche, <laughs> then it can actually be helpful to start from your own purpose and personality and niche down based on the shared beliefs and personality quirks that you have, because that is who you will attract, okay? So I think that's a really important to point to make is that you don't necessarily have to build for the person out there that you're trying to go find. You can build for yourself and the person you are most aligned and prepared to support and serve, and then it will be easier to go attract those people. But either will work. Okay, number four, products and pricing. I'm actually not going to spend a ton of time on this one because this is where most small businesses and big businesses as well spend a ton of their time. I notice with founders, especially of physical products, we absolutely love to fuss and obsess over the product. We love to over-engineer. We love to tweak. We love to change things and improve things and obsess over materials and process and blah, blah, blah which is fine, except... A product does not a brand build. It can be a very, very, very important part of a successful business, but it's not the only part of a successful brand. And if it is a place where you know you are procrastinating and hiding because you don't want to go do marketing or sales or some of the other stuff we're talking about today, then listen up. Also, if you've struggled with pricing because you don't know what to charge, you're basing it purely on what competitors charge or purely on your cost of goods, then I want you to hear me when I say product and pricing is one of the most essential parts of brand positioning. 
of understanding where you fit in the market overall. And it is a branding marketing decision, not an emotional one, not of cost of goods one, other than making sure you're charging enough <laughs> to cover those costs of goods. But although your competition will play a part, what you're doing with your brand is creating this personality and this purpose and this positioning in a space and you will price it and provide products that fit accordingly to that. Most small businesses decide what they're going to sell, try and figure out a price for it, and then go figure out how to sell it. That is not a brand. If you started that way, because most people do, then the point you're at now is, okay, I know the product, I know who buys it, I know why they buy it, I know what price is working for me now. The job you have in front of you is to say, okay, what are the bits that are working for us? Where is it that we want to be? Where's the gap? And how are we going to fill that gap? And that gap is going to be filled by understanding one and two, right? Personality, purpose, and your people with a combination of using psychological tools as well as data and bringing your product and pricing around accordingly because these are the least fixed elements of your brand. They are the ones that are most likely to change because you will develop new products, because you will change your pricing, because you will shift and sway with the market forces and the opportunities in front of you a lot over time. Whereas your purpose, not gonna change much. Your personality shouldn't change, but this will. So we want to make sure that we're not building our whole brand around a particular product. For example, if the name of your business has the name of your product in it, this can be problematic if you ever want to sell anything else, <laughs> right? So starting to think about in this rebrand, if a name change is going to be important to expand, to create that spaciousness of your remodel that gives you the possibility of future opportunity, building the brand around purpose, around personality, instead of just around this product or service is a really important consideration for this type of rebrand, okay? And again, I know this can be uncomfortable and painful and your first impression might be, oh, hell no. I love my name. I'm not changing it. We've got great brand recognition. Okay, cool. It's up to you. But if you're trying to reach a new market who's never heard of you and you're trying to have a first impression that's aligned with what you want them to feel, which is possibly at odds with what your current name is actually achieving, then you have some decisions to make, right? One of the problems I see is that, as I mentioned, people start with the product and the price and they never get around to the purpose, personality, and ideal client understanding of that psychology which makes it really, really hard to determine what you should charge. Very, very hard to attract people who are willing to pay more, if that's of interest to you. And very, very hard to have clarity and confidence about which new products and services to bring to the market and which to skip because you have no sense of self and you've built a completely reactive business. And this is the fundamental place where most of my conversations start with entrepreneurs who are struggling. Entrepreneurs who are not struggling have nailed product and pricing and their issues are much more around their own uh, connection and excitement around the business or around a what now question about how to have more positive impact and purpose. But if you're struggling with making enough money or selling enough stuff, then chances are it's because you have purely zeroed in on the product and you've not done enough work on who the ideal client is and who you are and what you believe and where the overlap is between you and your client and the transformation you're helping them create. And that's basic like sales copywriting 101. So hopefully that's helpful if you <laughs> if you're having that experience. And like I said, I'm not going to spend as much time on products and pricing because I know you spend a lot of time here. But the, the thing I want you to take away is that this piece is fundamentally about deciding what you do and what to charge for it and understanding that that is a huge part of your overall brand. It is not in isolation from the positioning that you have in the market. It's connected 
and it should be a strategic decision that connects with all the other pieces we're talking about today, which means it might need to change as you go through this rebrand. Okay, number five, the one you've been waiting for that actually is what you think of when you think of a rebrand. <laughs> what I want you to go into this one with is the understanding that if you've made all of the other decisions to this point, the visual decisions that you make for presentation, things like color, design, fonts, etc., should be made based on these decisions you've already made. You've made strategic choices about who you are, why you do what you do, who you're for, what you sell, and what you charge for it. And the presentation, the visual brand, should be a totally aligned representation of those things. Okay? So one of the things that's really useful is that quiz I mentioned at the beginning. If you choose a personality type based on psychology, then there are some very strong suggestions. There's a very easy framework for some design choices to make in terms of color, shape, texture, things like fonts, etc., based on that personality type, which just make it easier to narrow down your options. And that's what we use inside the color brand method. But the other thing to keep in mind here is that if you've already decided, as I've recommended, how you need to make people feel in order to make them excited and trusting enough to buy from you, then your job with the visual brand is to create those feelings, right? It's not to use your favorite color. It's not to just bend to the whims of your designer. It is a strategic process in order to meet the objectives you have already laid out. And those objectives, fundamentally are around feelings. Feelings that will encourage conversion or purchase. And for me, I think this is where the genius of my color brand method really kicks in because it does create a really simple framework where once you've made all these other decisions, this becomes really simple based on applied color and design psychology. So once we've picked a lane with personality, the psychology, the feelings we want to create, then you know, color psychology tells us how certain colors make people feel. Yellow affects our emotions. It makes us happy. <laughs> so we will use yellow in an attempt to make people happy, but it has to be the right yellow and the right amount of yellow because there is also negative psychology that can go along with these things. So it is a bit of a gauntlet, but these tools are available to create more predictable outcomes. And this is the science part of the color brand method. Using applied color psychology and design psychology, we are able to translate the words, the desires that you have, the outcomes that you want into, this is the brand you should build and this is what it should look like in order to achieve those aims. And when implemented properly, it works so well that many times when my clients have put their new branding out to their audiences and asked for their reactions, they have used the exact same three to five words that we used when strategically building the brand because they see it. More importantly, they feel it because we've not left anything up to chance with our own personal preferences. We've used the color brand method to turn the desired feelings into a brand that evokes exactly those feelings. And I've tested this with hundreds of businesses now and the results of creating this kind of harmony and alignment and consistency are staggering. Immediate increase in inquiries and leads and conversions, doubling revenue basically overnight, more dream clients being magnetized out of nowhere, tons more buzz and brand awareness and affinity being created at every touch points. And one of my favorites, the founders I've worked with are absolutely ecstatic with the upgrade. Not just the results, which are obviously great, but the new energy they feel as a result of this refresh, of this clarity, of this realignment with purpose and the visual delight that's created when we use color and design psychology to bring everything into harmony. You've probably heard me talk about harmony a lot, but you don't need to understand it to understand it. Think about harmony in terms of music. 
You don't need to know anything about music to appreciate when something is harmonious. It feels good in your body. It has an emotional impact on you. Just the same as when it's out of harmony, when it's a bit off, you kind of don't want to listen to it anymore, right? But nobody ever teaches us how to do this with a visual brand, with assets like color and imagery and words. So this kind of strategic rebrand is more than a makeover. It's a total reinvention. But from a practical side, the presentation side of things, you know, where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, is going to revolve heavily around the three most important assets you have to create trust in a first impression. And the reason these three are the most important is because you perceive them the most quickly because they're visual and they have the most impact on your emotions. And those top three are color, imagery, and overall design. Visual information gets translated by our brain so much faster than words. So copy is the next most important one. I don't want to say it's not important. It is. It just doesn't get registered quite as fast as the visual. So the most important copy becomes your headlines and subheadlines, the things that are really skimmable. But I do want to emphasize that copy is one of the most profound sales tools you have that like color images and design are probably, you know, underutilized in your brand and not as strategic as they should be. So color is number one, imagery, photography, video, number two, and overall design is number three. If you have music with video, for example, that can be even more powerful than color. They can kind of switch places because the combination of visual and audio is so powerful. But color is obviously playing out there as well because it's visual. So color plays out in everything, in the design, through the imagery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is why the, the color brand method is called the color brand method because it revolves at its core around color psychology because it is the most powerful tool you have to have a more predictable psychological impact on people. Psychology leads to these feelings. Feelings leads to the trust that you need to create purchase instantly. And when I talk about this, I often talk about the most important eight seconds in your business, and that is your first impression. It is the first and often last chance you have to make people feel how you need them to feel in order to move on through your customer journey, to scroll down your website, to scroll through your feed, to listen to your podcast, to pick up your book. That first impression is absolutely essential. And that is where the stuff I'm talking about today becomes the most important. Now, one of the most surprising things about this whole presentation topic is your logo is generally not that important. If you invest all your time, money, and energy on your color, your images, and the overall design, plus, of course, your copywriting, I don't care what your logo is as long as it's not so hideous it's detracting from the rest. Logo doesn't become that important until you become an absolutely iconic brand. If you're a Nike or an Apple, yeah, okay, logo is important. But if you're not, then I'd much rather see you focus on color and photography and overall design because those are going to be having so much more impact on your conversions, your sales, your profitability, etc., than your logo itself. It's nice to have a nice logo, but put much more energy into copy and to the other visual things that I've mentioned if you want to do a strategic rebrand. And that is sometimes a controversial thing to say because we get really emotionally attached to logo. But my job as a brand architect is to tell you what matters and what doesn't. <laughs> and in this case, it's a nice to have, you want it to look good, but it's not nearly as important as the color palette the photography, the overall design, and the copy, okay? Okay, moving on to six. We're finally coming home. Six is the rollout. In this conversation about the six stages of this strategic rebrand, six is actually bringing it to life. And certainly this is gonna be easier in a digital environment, right? Your website, your social channels, emails, blog, podcast covers, courses. Digital is usually cheaper and faster to change. Then you have to consider the physical stuff as well, right? Office spaces, facilities, signage, uniforms, packaging, vehicles, printed materials, sales presentations, book covers, all that stuff. So when you actually start to wrap your head around how this 
rollout is going to happen, it makes sense to sit down and just do a list for yourself of all the places where you know if you did a strategic rebrand, you would need to make changes in order to make that rebrand count. But for this conversation, I wanted to run through a few of the frequently asked questions that I get about this rollout, launch, rebrand process when it comes to this stage. The first question I often get is, what should I change first? For a lot of businesses, it's not realistic to just overhaul everything at the exact same time, right? The only way to do that is to basically build everything in the background and then flip a switch, turn it on at a certain point, and that can be a little too complicated for a lot of businesses to manage. So my advice is that realistically for most businesses, a rebrand is going to happen in phases. And the first place that most of my clients start is with the messaging. It's the easiest to change without old people noticing, but new people being able to get the benefit. And this is where I suggest you start getting more of that why, more of that purpose into the conversation tightening up your niche so you're speaking directly to a smaller group of people uh, or a tighter group of people and adding more personality into your copy. Because in most cases, like I said, this is a fast, easy change to do and you can often do it right away. So places to change would be like the, the, the key copy at the top of your website, the key copy in your social media bios, the ways that you introduce yourself in a room when you're networking or going to conferences. These are places where not only can you change right away, but you can test. So I love the introduction test. I do a course called the Magic Messaging Masterclass where we build like a brand statement and there's a conversational version of this where you are creating how you introduce yourself in a room to make the introduction less about what you do and more about why you do it and who you do it for. So that you can create that instant emotional reaction you're looking for to pique curiosity or get people to wanna take the conversation further or for people to wanna jump out of their seat and shout, I love her or I need you (laughs) because you've tapped into something beyond just like, I'm a life coach or I'm a dog trainer, you know, like you want to be able to get to the heart of what you do and why you do it as well as who you do it for in a more specific way. So people recognize themselves in you or their friends in what you do immediately. So that's a really good quick place to change. And then of course, some of the other more complicated, expensive, et cetera, stuff can roll out later. The next question I often get is, should I do a big launch event or should I make it subtle? And the the answer to this is dependent. Everybody's different. It will depend on what you want. It will depend on the resources that you have and the team that you have to support you. But I would say there is always an advantage to anything that you can turn into an event, anything that you can turn into some sort of theater Again, because it gives you the chance to have that emotional connection, being able to share the behind the scenes of how you pulled this brand together, the why behind why all the pieces matter, sharing how and why you created the changes that you did is a really nice way to let people behind the curtain to understand how much you care and why you do what you do. And it also allows you to grab attention, right? Anytime we have something that is likely to be very engaging in social media, email, blogs, etc., it's useful to use it. And a rebrand is one of those things that does grab people's attention. It's often quite shareable. It can create a lot of engagement. And it is a very, very useful thing to do as a large sort of splash if you feel capable of doing that. If you don't feel capable of doing that, don't. (laughs) Lots of people I'll recommend you do like a soft launch and then a big launch. So a soft launch would be like you put the new website up, you put the new social up, you've got the new emails, you've got this, that, and the other thing sort of rolling out officially on day one, but maybe you plan a bigger launch event for day 30. (laughs) So you've got time to like adjust to troubleshoot to fix any things that come up straight away before you go all in on this main event. And the way you message that is just like, have you seen? Did you notice? You know, like we have done X, Y, Z. And it's a good way to re-engage people who maybe haven't been paying attention. Another thing that can be really useful here 
is doing a countdown. You can get people re really, really excited. If you are going to flip a switch, then you can do a countdown and then make it live and then create a lot of excitement and intrigue around that. But I would say if you find the whole idea of having to plan a brand launch too overwhelming or scary or having to put a date on it just freaks you out, then don't do it because it shouldn't cause you to not do the rebrand in the first place because that bit feels intimidating to you. It's just like, just because you don't want to do a book launch doesn't mean you shouldn't write a book, right? The book should still be in the world, but it depends on the strategic goals you have for that thing that you're bringing to the world. And if one of your strategic goals is to make a big splash, then obviously using the rebrand as an opportunity to create and hold attention is very, very useful. Another question I get all the time is how long should this whole process take? Now, again, I have kind of a controversial opinion about this because I've been a part of rebrands that take over a year, not led by me, by the way. And I have had brand in a week clients who have literally turned around their entire digital presence in a week. I've handed the brand over to them and a week later they had a new website, new everything online. And so it doesn't have to be slow. This is why we offer the brand in a week as a solution for people who want it faster. This process does not need to take a long time. Now, working with a brand architect, working with a strategist who can help make all the decisions, help turn those decisions into visuals and copy and do that quickly is obviously going to make it go faster. Then you also have on the back end, the requirement of having support for getting the website updated and the email, et cetera, et cetera. So that is something you should think about if you're wanting to do something quickly. You know, if you want to do a brand in a week with us and you want to have it up quickly, then you need to make sure you've got your web developer and, you know, whoever else you need on tap to implement those changes quickly. It is heartbreaking to me when I see people invest in a rebrand and then not use it, which does happen. And I know a lot of the reasons why there's some fear, there's some overwhelm, there's, you know, schedules that get in the way, but why would you invest in this incredible tool and then not use it? <laughs> so for me, I would much rather just like rip the bandaid, get it done, get it up. And then, like I said, if you want to build fanfare, do that a little bit further down the road. If you feel like it's going to be intimidating to you. A realistic amount of time for a rebrand where you are leading it and you don't have someone like me, you know, a general contractor, an architect kind of pulling all the strings with their own team of experts, it's probably somewhere between like two to three months to do the work of creating it and then, you know, insert whatever time you want here to actually roll it out because there is like ordering things and changing things and whatever. In our DIY branding course, we have three sort of tracks that you can take. One is fast, one is normal, and one is a bit slow if you want to just sort of sit with it for a while. Um, and the fastest track that we suggest is 12 weeks. Because if you're doing the strategic part of this, then there is thinking, deciding, writing, exploring, research, et cetera, to do, as well as, you know, getting really solid photography should be a part of this process. And those things can take time because you don't always have control over that. So I would say, how long should this whole process take? Somewhere between a week and six months, I would say, is ideal. Depending on what you're investing, who you're using, how prepared you are going in, what feels good to you, it should not take a year. Ideally, if this is a priority, if it's something you actually committed to, as I recommended at the beginning, it should be reasonably quick. You don't want to just sit and dwell on these questions forever because here's the thing, even if you're investing heavily in this strategic rebrand, you're going to have to keep doing this. I adjust my messaging every six months or so. I tweak my colors every year or so. And when there's major changes like products that come to the marketplace or uh, products that we get rid of, we also do some tweaks. When I go through big changes in my life or business, then sometimes there are tweaks. So this is not a set final thing that you're doing. However, you should not mess with it constantly.
Okay, so we need to find this beautiful balance between I'm not going to be so freaked out about this because it's set in stone and I can never change it. And I'm going to change it all the time because I can't commit. <laughs> if you want to get the benefits of a brand, you need to commit, you need to create consistency, you need to be strategic, and you need to let it build over time to create familiarity, to create brand recognition. That's really important. And that's why you work with people like me in order to help facilitate this process so it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Now, another thing I wanted to mention is throughout this process, you are going to have to balance what is practical with what is ideal. And everyone has to decide for themselves what that means. But remember, if you want to leverage color and design psychology, it can be a bit of an all or nothing game. You can't just pick and choose the bits that you like or that you feel the most comfortable with. So the process is likely to feel a little uncomfortable because a lot of it will be new. Some of it will feel foreign or maybe not 100% like what you would pick <laughs> if you weren't relying on something like color psychology to guide you. So it's probably going to work better than anything you've done before for that same reason there's a strategic reason to pick a color, an image, or to make word or design choices. They are not random, but they're also not just catering to what you like or what your designer likes at the cost of being less strategically viable. And that can be uncomfortable. But what I've seen again and again is that after the initial discomfort of that new and unfamiliar feeling of like a particular color or a color harmony, that turns into an overwhelming adoration. Because as I've mentioned a couple of times, this idea of harmony, just like with music, is a magical feeling of alignment. And when you see it all come together, all that psychology, all that strategy, all that consistency really, really pays off. And that's when you really realize that what you've got is so much more than just a new coat of paint, right? It's a beautiful, spacious, wildly valuable dream brand that you love living in, that you love showing off and inviting people into and sharing, and that you are totally reinvigorated by. It's a place where people want to be, where the feelings that they love to feel are everywhere and where you can have that exponential positive impact in the ways that matter most to you. Of course, as you can imagine, I would love to help you have this experience to be the architect of your amazing new brand. And if you want that, you know where to find me. Of course, we've got links in the show notes. When you're ready to stop procrastinating or making excuses or playing small, my team and I cannot wait to support you. But whether you choose us or someone else, I am so excited for you to consider and embark upon this profound life and business changing transformation. Just make sure when you go into your rebrand that you do it strategically. Decide what you want, what you need, and make your decisions accordingly. And if it's uncomfortable, that's okay. You're probably doing it right. I'll see you next time.